Do you ever stop to wonder why Jesus answers so many questions about whether that's prayer, about heaven, about how we should live with stories? Now, today our reading is Luke chapter 12, and in the previous chapters of Luke, he's journeying through Samaria, and people keep asking him questions, and he's, he's giving stories and his answers. He gives a story about a man being almost beaten to death, by a, and then a stranger comes by and has compassion in response to a question of, who is my neighbor? He doesn't give a definition of who a neighbor is, he just tells this story. Next, he gets asked a question about prayer, and again, he follows that with a story about a very hungry, unexpected visitor in the middle of the night pounding on the door. And then later on, he'll do it again with a story about a judge and a widow. There's questions posed, then there's stories given. And our text today is another example of someone asking a question to Jesus and a story being given. Now, those first two that come along there in that little traveling through Samaria, it starts about Luke 10. I don't really have any hesitations with the stories that he gives, the kind of thing, but this one kind of makes me do a double take on Jesus. I mean, the man who appears to be being cheated out of some of his inheritance rights, he asked Jesus to help right this wrong. And Jesus just refuses to help and responds with a question of his own, saying, man, who appointed me judge or arbiter between you? Now, obviously, no one has here. Of course, my mind goes to what we'll confess and sing in just a little bit about Jesus being the judging one between the living and the dead. But maybe even your mind goes to, well, at that time, I do believe in the Jewish community, it was the rabbis and teachers who were judging between the people. So maybe this makes us say, Jesus, really? Really? You're not going to do something here? I mean, this doesn't seem like a bad request. And if you go back to those two chapters earlier, you told him how you should ask, how you should seek and knock, and you'll find, you'll receive, and have the door opened. And here's this guy who's asking, and Jesus is saying no. So much then, I guess, for prayer as a procedure, as a formula, right? I mean, this guy did it. He sought Jesus. He asked. He was ready for the door to be opened. No. I wonder what the disciples were thinking after they had just tried to figure out, okay, how are we supposed to pray? Maybe prayer isn't supposed to just be words that we mumble through some formula to follow. Now, before you think I'm trying to turn you against Jesus, let's be real here. Jesus is exercising some spiritual discernment. He sees the heart of this man, and he knows that this call for justice is not just a call for justice, but really it's a call for coveting, for wanting more. Now, there's nothing showing that the man was being defrauded or his rights violated. All we know is that it's not God's will for him to ignore justice. We see that with the Old Testament prophets. We see it with John the baptizer. We see it even with Jesus himself, this call for as part of the kingdom of God that there will be justice. But Jesus here is discerning that this is not about justice. This is about greed and warns that life is more than just what you have. Perhaps this can be our first lesson for today. See, when a story is told, we can enjoy the story, we can ignore the story, we can think, oh, that kind of story was cute, maybe I'll retell it later on. But to comprehend the story, to experience the story, we have to enter into it. See, I think Jesus tells stories so that we can, no matter the day or age, participate, can put ourselves into the story. So I'll start by being the man in the story, not with his words, but with his heart. See, I too know how to pray. I know how to ask. 
I know who to ask. I know the right words to say. I know how to cross my T's, dot my I's to get exactly what I want. And what's better is that I know how to do it in a way that makes me look very good and very favorable. And maybe you can do that too. Make something look very good and very right. Even throwing a a Bible verse or two there to support it, but in reality, hiding the sin and the real desire. It's interesting how often I cover up my sin in the wrapping paper of virtue. I'm reminded that the devil doesn't waste time trying to get me to do something blatantly evil. He hides the evil in something good and tries to convince us that the good outweighs the evil. And when I enter into this story, I recognize in myself the man because I too have tried to mask what I want, the wrong that I want, in a very seemingly good way. Perhaps we can take away before the parable even begins is that this is an opportunity for us as the people of God to check our heart. Check what it is that we are defining our lives by. Is it our things? Is it our accomplishments, our status, our failures, our current situation? We need to check our heart and examine whether or not we have been coming to God as our authentic self or as the one that we think God wants to see. St. Benedict reminds us that we are to be holy, not to simply seek to appear holy. So let us enter this story again. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I got no place to store all my crops. He said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'm going to put all my extra grain. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This story ignores the man's rights and simply impales his greed, but does so indirectly. See, it's just a story. Maybe the man doesn't even recognize himself in this story. Maybe he doesn't own a barn. I know I don't. Jesus doesn't pull a Nathan here and say, you're the man in this story to the guy that is asking for his share. This story, this parable allows the man to, I don't know, keep his dignity He can enter this story in his own volition or he can simply ignore it and say, what's he talking about barns? I didn't want a barn. I guess I'll go to somebody else to take up my cause. See, sometimes parables don't make things easier. They make them harder. Parables have a way of not necessarily condemning our sin directly or condescendingly explaining something. They just sit there like a pebble in your shoe, a rock in your shoe, right? Bothersome requiring attention. And the story requires, again, participation. If Jesus wanted to talk about greed, why didn't he just give us a formula, give us the procedure? When I say, okay, you want to make sure that you don't have greed in your heart, so always give 10%. Okay, now to make sure you don't start coveting what isn't yours, do this, say that, and then you'll be good. Part of me really wants that. I want him to break it down line by line, tell me exactly what to do. The other part of me is a little more realistic and knows that I get so many to-dos. <laughs> Please, I'm not going to do it. 
I ignore even the most basic of advice that I get from the professionals in my life. The doctor looks at me and says, eat healthy, exercise daily. And I say, so like one day a week and McDonald's is fine? Jesus is after something that's more than just a list of to-dos. He's after our hearts. See, we get this parable and each one of us feels it differently. Because the reality is we are all wealthy. All of us have heard and know that if you have money in your pocket and a, a little savings uh, 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 change jar in your house, that you have more money than more than 92% of the world. That if you have a roof over your head, clothes to wear, uh, a transportation means, and food in your fridge, you have way more than most. It's very difficult for me to look in the mirror and say that I am poor, say that I am not wealthy. It's very difficult for me to go outside and say that God has not been generous to us. Friends, God didn't make one tree. There's like billions of them. There's not just one type of flower or one type of animal or one national park. You can't just have one house, cat. You can have up to four before it gets weird. God has given us so much in this world. I think what's the verse in Luke 6? It goes something like, given it in good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and spilling over into your lap. God the Creator is generous with His wealth. And if nature isn't enough for you to be convinced that we are wealthy, how about grace? God doesn't just barely save us and say, okay, I did this much, now you've got to do the rest to get into heaven. His grace, His mercy is new every morning. Gives us His very own spirit is what God did. Gave each one of us spiritual gifts and created us as a unique individual. And because we are rich, because we have more than we need, the moment that we are wealthy in goods or in God, we become liable to greed. In God, we are wealthy and we suddenly are tempted by the cheap grace. Oh, I can get away with that. And in materials, never satisfied, always wanting just a little bit more. There's no avoiding this condition of wealth that we have been given, whether we conceive it as spiritual blessings or material. And because of greed and because of pride, it isn't very long before each of us starts thinking about building bigger barns. I can keep doing that sin. It's not hurting anybody. And I got barns and barns of grace to cover it up. I can keep wasting. There's plenty of trees. Someone will plant one. I don't have to create this recycling. Someone will invent a way to like get rid of plastic. It's not my problem. Besides, this little thing that I'm doing isn't going to make much of a difference. And this is my money. And this is my things. And as such, I can do as I please. Greed and pride have a way of infecting us, getting into our bloodstream, taking over and messing with our heart. We quit thinking of wealth as love to be shared, and instead, wealth becomes power to be used. Wealth has a way of turning itself into power, power that can be used to control people, manipulate people, abuse people. And there are many who have been the victims of those who are wealthy and powerful, who have been abused emotionally, physically, or sexually. 
And I know it may not seem like much, but I think that it is time for us as a church to bow our heads in silent prayer, calling for our Lord to heal those who have been victims. Ask God to give us the courage to stand with them, to listen and support. I say we do that now. our Lord calls us to pray for those who are hurting. He calls us to love those who are hurting. And if you need help and you need support, your church is here. There's not much we can do if we don't know, but if we know, we can help. You are loved and you are not alone. See, when you enter into this story, when you spend some time with it, you get past that gut check of, are you saying that I can't have a savings, Lord? What do you mean you're just going to take my life at any more minute? That doesn't sound very nice. You find the truth is that we are all wealthy. But the question we should ask is, what are we going to do with our wealth? Wealth was not meant for our own power, but it is to be used to support others. We worship here today because people mortgage their homes for a place to worship. We can watch these services online because people chose to donate instead of to store up. We create prayer and care communities not so that we can boast about doing something, but so that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus who are truly hurting and suffering, who are alone. The truth is that the reason we have been given so much wealth is so that we can love so much. And thanks be to God that he did not use his own power for his own gain, but instead washed feet and gave each one of us gifts to better and support the community. Each one of us is called to do this. Now, I'm not trying to be a radical here and tell you, get out of your homes and don't do this. But we have been called to recreate, to resurrect love, to find a way to do it that is safe. We have never been a congregation of barn builders, and no pandemic is ever going to change that. Each of us have a way to support others. Wealth wasn't meant so that we would never have to work again, but so that we could use our wealth to work for more good than we ever thought even possible. See, it's not that God doesn't want us to be wealthy. It's about our heart. We're not supposed to let wealth turn us inward, but to do like Christ did and turn it outward. This is your church. Your church. And you've been called to join in the work of the church. People coming together at church to do collective good because we can do more together than we could ever do alone. It's why we take an offering so that our gifts can go and do more together. Kelly talked about Be the Miracle. We started with 100 kids not having Christmas presents, and at 6.45 this morning, there was only 10 who didn't have any left. We started with zero care communities and 130 kinship families who are one step away from having to put their children into foster care. And as of December, hopefully, we'll be launching seven. But that's still 123 more families who need us to be able to share what we have. 
And thanks be to God that he promised to never stop working. But that when we remain connected to him, we will do even greater things that have yet to be seen. Wealth was never meant so that we could store it up for ourselves. It's meant to be shared. And it's not just money and resources that we give. We give of ourselves. Think about it. When you're in a Bible study, whether you're leading or participating, it's not about not having the time to get around to it. This is with other people is a benefit to everyone. Because each of us see it differently. Each of us have an opportunity to share how God is working in our own lives. When I'm in Bible studies and people tell me about the struggles, it makes me feel like I'm not alone in that struggle. And they show me how to have faith, how to trust in God, how God has come through for them. That's the body of Christ sharing its wealth of experience with one another. And thanks be to God that Christ didn't die on the cross for his own self shed his blood so that mercy and forgiveness could be shared to all. The theme says, through it all, content. I want you to be content, but I also want you to be so much more. I want you to want so much more, but not for yourself. For those who don't yet know, for those who have nothing for those who are struggling and hurting, I want you to have a heart like Christ has for you to do for them. Through it all. I want to invite the band to come and lead us in a few more songs, an opportunity to sing what it is that we believe so they can make their way up here. And I want to end our sermon in kind of a silly way, maybe. One that maybe moves us from imagination into reality by adding on to this parable. A sequel, perhaps. I'll start us, and then you can finish it. Sound good? After the Lord said that, the man responded with, Lord, have mercy on me. Show me how not to store up my grain in barns, but instead to share it. And so the man went and did... You tell me, and you show those around you. And let us stand together and sing about this faith that we share, that our hearts overflow with gratitude and thanksgiving on account of what Christ has given to us in a way that fills us so much that we can't keep it inside stored up, but we must share it wherever we go.